I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to Inside AgriTurf, a series of podcasts in which I will be talking to those at the heart of the farm and grass machinery industry. Hello and welcome to this new series of Inside AgriTurf in which I'd like to examine the future for the well, let's just call them the in-betweeners. And I'm not referring to the cult TV series and here in the UK featuring lads behaving badly. Now, I'm going to be looking in depth at the role of dealers, at the in-betweeners, who are the vital link in the chain between manufacturer and end user. They provide a local shop window for customers. They select and stock machinery and equipment most appropriate to the needs of local customers and local conditions. They are advice centres, machine consultants, sales transactors and most important of all, providers of local technical support and backup service. And note the constant reference to the word local. And yet, and yet, their overall numbers are being culled either by the direct actions of manufacturers, particularly the majors, or they are falling by the wayside due to succession issues age issues or simply being unable to identify a long-term profitable niche in the market. For this Inside AgriTurf podcast we embrace several sectors and it is clear there are different challenges facing dealers in the agricultural machinery sector which is predominantly business to business to those facing garden machinery dealers operating in a retail consumer environment. And later on in this episode, I'll be checking in with Steve Gibbs, the editor of Service Dealer magazine, about a brand new word that is creeping into industry dialogue that has significant implications for all dealers. So this is the way it works and has done for years and years. Manufacturers make products which they sell to the dealers, who in turn sell them on to customers. There are, of course, variations, but by and large, that is how it has worked over time. Even then, I've always had a nagging reservation about the basic soundness of this concept. For a start, manufacturers spend vast sums on research and development, even more on tooling up for the manufacturing process, testing, promotion and launch and then having put their heart and soul into creating an exciting new product at eye-watering expense, they do appear to lose control of their senses and pass it on to another organisation to sell for them. It's all semantics, of course, yet the relationship between manufacturer and dealer has often been fraught with mistrust and tension, particularly when the values of a global corporation with responsibility to shareholders are pitted against the practical expectations of a local family company whose priorities are putting food on the table for its employees and building a secure future for family members. But don't get me wrong, dealer-manufacturer relationships work well when they are based around trust, openness, respect and mutual understanding and has served the industry well down the years. But things are changing, and rapidly, as the world economy battles to combat the impact of the 2020 pandemic. Virtually every show, demonstration day, conference and industry event has been cancelled this year with no certainty about next year. 
Retail businesses have had to adopt unfamiliar and unfriendly trading conditions. And the prospect of high unemployment will surely impact on spending power. There are still uncertainties, of course, surrounding the eventual outcome and impact of Brexit. And, of course, the unpredictability of weather will always weave its influence across every sector of the agriturf industry. So we have a combination of perfect storms all rolled into one that are likely to hasten change and a reappraisal of existing practices, whether you be manufacturer, supplier, distributor, dealer or customer. And yet, such is the resilience and flexibility of our industry, anecdotally the level of business in 2020 across much of our industry has been on a par or even exceeded previous years. Against the odds, the industry has navigated 2020 in a much better shape than most predicted when the lockdown was imposed in March, and certainly better than many other industries who have really had the odds stacked against them. There is evidence, however, that the big players, the global corporations, are starting to flex their muscles much more forcibly than ever before. Some appear to believe that the new normal will allow them to discard concepts of best practice that, although not fallible, have at least provided a basic set of principles to guide the manufacturer-dealer relationship over the years. Consider, for instance, the recent actions of Honda, a global giant in the automotive world. When they decided to slash their UK outdoor power equipment dealer network by sacking 50 out of their 200 dealers in one foul swoop, many of whom had been loyal to the company for decades, they couldn't be bothered to enter into dialogue or let the sacked dealers know in advance. They simply sent out termination letters. Now I'm sure that there will have been considered rationale behind Honda's slimmed down dealer network. But that is no excuse for acting in such a disrespectful manner. After all, courtesy costs nothing. Meanwhile, in the agricultural machinery sector, this time from the United States, another indicator of the way the industry may develop in the future. Agco Corporation has just acquired a retail dealership and will take over the running of Boyd Company, which operates from four locations in Kentucky and Indiana. A new company, Ag Revolution, a wholly owned subsidiary of Agco, will start trading on the 1st of January 2021, after Boyd, also a Caterpillar dealer, signalled its intention to focus future business on the construction market. Agco says that this is a unique situation and does not signify a long-term strategy. However, listen to the words of Robert Crane, Senior Vice President and General Manager for Agco North America. He said that Ag Revolution will be part of innovative sales and service initiatives and will help our larger dealer network with new capabilities that will make them more successful. To, to me, that uh, sounds as though it could be a new strategy, a new dealer brand, and perhaps an indicator of greater manufacturer involvement in running and indeed owning dealerships in the future. There is little doubt that we are seeing the hastening of consolidation of dealer outlets across the globe, spearheaded by John Deere in line with their Dealer of Tomorrow strategy, first announced almost 10 years ago with their stated aim of establishing super dealerships. 
nor is the trend confined to deer. Large multi-branch dealerships are a feature of the Case New Holland franchise. Agco too have been arranging their dealer network here in the UK, notably in Scotland and the north of England. But as with CNH, they have different brands in their stable, so do have more flexibility over dealer appointments than Deer with its focus on a single brand. The ability of major corporations to impose ever more stringent contract and trading take-it-or-leave-it conditions on their dealers has long been a concern to dealers and dealer associations. The notion of the manufacturer and dealer being equal partners with a common aim has become something of a pipe dream. There are, however, pockets of resistance. Three years ago, a regional Dealer Trade Association, Pioneer Equipment Dealers Association, representing some 370 farm equipment dealers in and around North Dakota, introduced a Farm Equipment Dealer Bill of Rights, which was passed by the North Dakota Legislative and was due to become law on the 1st of August 2017. In summary, the bill sought to halt the increasing shift in requirements placed on dealers by manufacturers, particularly in respect of mandatory equipment and parts purchases, minimum order requirements, dealer termination terms, warranty reimbursements, performance standards and unreasonable orders to make changes to the dealer's premises. However, before the bill was passed into law, the Association of Equipment Manufacturers, supported by AGCO, CNH, Deer and Kubota, filed a suit to block the law. That delayed its implementation, but only just a few days ago, on the 19th of October 2020, and after a delay of three years, a judge has ruled in favour of the dealers, which will now apply to all dealer agreements signed after the 1st of August 2017. Interestingly, Matthew Larsgaard, the CEO of the Pioneer Dealers Group, said, Whilst we are pleased with the ruling, we do prefer contract negotiations to be conducted outside the legislative arena and work with manufacturers as equal partners to ensure that we provide the best possible service to our customers. Now, I know this is the United States and a particular region in the US at that, but other deal associations such as Klimar in Europe will surely use this ruling as a reference to reinforce their aim of providing a level playing field in dealer-manufacturer relations. And with the trend in dealer consolidations bound to snowball in the coming months and years, does it pose questions surrounding the financial health of major tractor and farm machinery dealerships? For there is little doubt that running a multi-branch full-line dealership today is certainly not for the financially faint-hearted. Although the scale and size of the US machinery market is some 10 times that of the UK market, there is increasing evidence that outside investors, such as hedge funds, are adding agricultural machinery dealers to their portfolios. The biggest is probably a Titan Machinery, which today owns more than 100 ag and construction dealerships, mainly in the US, but with European branches in Germany, Romania, Bulgaria... Serbia and the Ukraine, all of them representing CNH brands such as Case IH, New Holland, Ag and Construction. 
Another private investment company, Black Cliff Partners, based in Utah, has recently acquired two Kubota dealerships. And in an interesting move, Dutch company, Royal Resync, best known as the UK distributor of Toro Turfco equipment and TYM tractors, has purchased two substantial farm machinery dealerships in Canada, both of which hold class and Kubota franchises. Whether this external investment model will ever come to the UK is a guessing game. In the past, Class stepped in to buy up a number of struggling dealerships, but always conceded that owning a dealership was not ideal, either as a long-term strategy nor was it fair to the other independent Class dealerships, and they subsequently reverted their dealer stock to private ownership. As to the market itself, it is generally accepted that we are entering the fourth agricultural revolution as new technologies based around artificial intelligence, AI, data gathering, robotics, driverless vehicles, increasing use of drones for distributing agrochemicals, vertical farms, lab-grown meat and much, much more. However, the practical adoption of such advancements will be gradual. There will be successes and there will be failures. There will also be inequalities with smaller farms perhaps losing out to the big commercial farming operations. There is currently a staggering array of new technology being developed around the globe. But as one speaker at a recent conference said, more labour-saving new technologies have been invented than there are actually problems to solve. However, We will get to a time when tractors, for instance, will advance beyond the current concept stage and the role of dealers in the future will have to adapt and evolve. So what about other specialist dealer groups within AgriTurf? Those dealers selling garden machinery, turf and outdoor power equipment to consumers They too have experienced three significant revolutions. Post-war, the rise and rise of powered lawnmowers and garden machinery when the dealers had the business to themselves and service was a key contributor to their bottom line. In the 1980s, the emergence of the DIY superstores, often referred to as the sheds, who bought and sold in volume, had enormous advertising and marketing budgets and were open seven days a week. Unlike the dealer who had to accept the terms offered by the suppliers, the sheds dictated their terms to manufacturers and the emergence of them resulted in the closure of a high number of specialist garden machinery dealers. And as we entered the new millennium, a new age, the internet age, which facilitated marketing and online selling for dealers who were presented with a much more level playing field Suddenly, they had the ability to reach consumers directly. And whilst there were teething problems, many, many dealers embraced the new technology and marketing opportunities. In 2020, however, the whole of the retail sector has been drastically reduced, mainly because of the impact of COVID. There were over 11,000 store closures in the UK between January and June this year, a figure that can only rise inexorably during the second half of the year. The majority of these were branches of chain stores shutting en masse. But, interestingly, more than 5,000 new shops opened their doors, 
and many of these would have been independent specialist stores serving a local need. So the question is, can specialist garden machinery dealers, for instance, use this shift in focus from chain stores to independent businesses to their benefit? As you'll all know, we are using language today that we simply would not have recognised just a year ago. Discussions about COVID, lockdowns, the R number, social distancing, mask etiquette would have gone over our head. And there are new words entering our world that could well affect the way the industry operates in the future. Uh, To explain, I'm delighted now to be joined by Steve Gibbs, editor of Service Dealer. So welcome, Steve. So what particular word is now creeping into your conversation with dealers? Well, the word is disintermediation, Eh? which which obviously I had to uh, first look up uh, to understand what it meant. Can I just run that that gate? Disintermediation. I I presume that's how it's pronounced, disintermediation. I've only seen it written down. I haven't heard people talking about it. It does sound like a rather demented psychologist, but there you go. Yeah, no, it's it's someone who's swallowed several dictionaries, it appears. Yes. So what's your understanding of what it means then, Steve? Well, essentially, it is the cutting out of the middleman. It's of a supplier of a good uh, going direct to consumers. So in like the case of, of our sector, it's manufacturers selling their equipment directly to consumers. And, and is, it, is it overtly price driven or is it maybe wrapped up in special offers and so on? Well, from, from what like I've been, obviously I can only go on what, what readers, you know, feedback to me. And, and so what I've been told by a few people is that it's, it's both that, it's both price in that they just sort of undercut them on certain products, you know, most, most seemingly um, like the lower end battery, battery power products, I suppose. So it's either on price that the dealership just can't compete with because there'd be zero margin there, or they might be doing things like bundling up uh, offers, like extras, add-ons uh, that dealers might sell separately to make a little bit of profit on, but they, they would get bundled up into the offer. Well, I think uh, as, as far as the dealer goes, as far as we know him or her, th- there is still, in my view, a, a bright future for them. So they, they're selling products uh, year-round and services and, and, and so on. And uh, I did see it uh, quoted as being a creeping threat as opposed to a, an all-out war at the moment. Which, is that how you see it? Yeah, that's that's exactly how I, I've been told by that. They're, they're a little bit insidious. Like it's not, um, it's been happening for a while. It's not like something that's just appeared in the last couple of months, apparently, according to the, the people that uh, have mentioned it to me. But this year, with like the way people have spoken this year about how the internet has come on, use of the internet in our industry has come on like five years in the space of five months or what have you. And so perhaps it's been um, magnified a bit. There still clearly is a place for that expertise and that extra specialist knowledge. On bigger purchases, you know, you still need that expertise. Uh, and, uh, and of course, the dealers, by and large these days, operate at the higher end of the market, higher ticket machines, where one would imagine that people do want uh, the comfort of knowing they're buying the right product, even though it might be, have a, a guarantee that you can send it back if it's not, if it's not right. But that's never ve- a very uh, satisfactory solution for anybody, neither the dealer nor the customer, actually. No, exactly. And so, yes, those bigger products, and certainly the people who are selling to uh, commercial customers, you know, I don't think there's any danger there that manufacturers are going to direct to. 
It's only talk amongst the dealers that uh, they would uh, withdraw their support from certain manufacturers. Should uh, should they persist with this? Yeah, you do you do see talk of that. If you look at like you know, and you do hear sort of grumblings that you know if um, about 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 pushing back again. If if someone's not supporting you, then why should you support them? You do hear that. Yeah. Well, look, Steve, that, thanks very much indeed for that. I think um, I think what we're really in summary, what we're talking about is um, an increasing move or, or tendency for some manufacturers to cut out the middlemen or as I've described it earlier in this podcast as the in-betweeners. So many, many thanks. That, that's great. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Chris. Well, there you are, a snapshot of just some of the issues that may affect the dealer community in the years ahead. As we heard from Steve, the creeping threat of disintermediation, which my dictionary describes as the process of removing the middleman or intermediary from the supply chain. Of course, that may happen as a consequence of manufacturing manufacturers deciding to run dealerships themselves. And I reference Agco recently acquiring a four-branch dealership in the United States. And will we see more interest in publicly quoted outside investors buying into dealerships or will they be put off by the constant uncertainties inherent in agriculture as a result of the weather, crop prices and market fluctuations? And of course, the inevitable consolidations in the manufacturing world and what mergers and acquisitions, particularly amongst the majors, may happen in the coming years. It's been fairly quiet on that front recently, but current events may prompt more activity, which in turn, of course, impacts on dealerships. My view is that today we have some of the most professional, well-managed and progressive dealerships in the UK that you will find anywhere. Many ag dealers have operation centres in direct communications with machines in the field, which look like a mini Houston control and staffed by some very talented people. In the professional turf care business, the highest standards of service are in place to meet the demands of contractors, local authorities and world-class sporting venues, whilst the flexibility and ability to be in tune with their customers is widely demonstrated throughout the garden machinery and outdoor power equipment market. I've no concerns about the ability of many dealers to succeed and prosper. It's the events outside their direct control that will cause them most concern. So this episode is intended only to set the scene for a series of conversations with those at the heart of the industry over the coming weeks. I'm only a commentator. It's those at the sharp end that count, and I look forward to hearing what they have to say. So I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside Agriturf.